Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello Fight Fans, I'm Mo Chatra and welcome to MMA Monthly, yes, um, Anfield Index own um, MMA podcast that definitely doesn't live up to its billing, um, we've not been around for not one month, two months, but many months, but we are back because we've got something absolutely huge to talk about, no, not Aspen Land's victory over Tony Evinger on the undercard, Um but um, a small matter of a lightweight championship bout and more, most notably what happened after that. So who better to discuss all the events from what was arguably the most eventful night in the history of the UFC um, than Dave Hendrick. How are you doing, Dave? I'm good, mate. I'm a little bit depressed today after what happened to my countryman. But, you know, he he, he talks at the talk and he has to walk the walk and he got beaten up last night and... Then he tried to, they tried to beat him up again afterwards. But it, you know, it was a it was a pretty good card. I have to say, I, I enjoyed this card. Yeah, no, it was definitely a, a very enjoyable one. Um, so before we cover what everyone is talking about, um, let, let's um, just cover off the fights from the main card. Um, so we had firstly Michelle Waterson um, face uh, Felice Herrig in a women's strawweight contest, and this went all the way to a decision, um, but Watson looked very good and uh, picked up a deserved uh, unanimous points victory. Um, we then had um, the heavyweight Derek Lewis um, against um, the equally um, gargantuous uh, Alexander Volkov, and um, that was uh, quite a fight. Volkov seemed to have the upper hand all the way throughout until the dying seconds of the contest when Lewis landed one of his haymakers and uh, grounded Volkov with an absolutely incredible punch and then rained down some more on the ground. And with only 11 seconds to go, it was victory for Lewis by KO. Yeah, doesn't it call into question what kind of coaching Volkov is getting when he's standing in range with 11 seconds to go? Like, you've got a massive reach advantage. You're winning the fight comfortably. You've won both rounds you're winning the third round. You've inflicted all the damage in the fight. 
and you're still standing in range with 11 seconds to go. It just doesn't make any sense. Volkov has the tools and the talent to be a very, very good heavyweight fighter, but he just either either he's not intelligent enough or he's not getting the coaching to really set in place proper game plans. I mean, Dominic Cruz on commentary was praying, you know, allowed for him to just jab and jab and move and, you know, use his side kicks and keep the distance, use the push kick, the front kick. And he wasn't doing well, he was doing it intermittently, but he should have been doing it repetitively. That was an easy win for Alexander Volkov, an easy win. And he threw it away. And for me, it has to come down to the coaching. How is there not a better game plan in place that your man isn't standing in range of an absolute behemoth with 11 seconds to go, knowing that Derek Lewis is one of the few fighters in the world who has through one knockout, a one punch knockout power? Doesn't make sense to me, Mo. No, no, it doesn't. I mean, and it was surprising because, you know, Volkov has been on a tear since arriving in the UFC a couple of years ago. I mean, he, uh, has fought some very notable fighters and um, has done very well and looked very intelligent in the way that he's fought as well. I mean, he's fought um, you know, Roy Nelson, Stefan Struve, Fabricio Verdum um, in his last three fights and um, fought very intelligently. And, um, you know, those three are all uh, very, very talented heavyweight fighters mm. and um, you know, dispatched them. You know, two of the three victories came with stoppages, KO for Verdum, um, TKO for Struve and a very deserved uh, unanimous decision points victory over Nelson, who's a very tough customer. So, um, you know, for him to get through those three, um, you know, there were a lot of people that expected him to, um, you know, outsmart Lewis. And yet, um, as, as you point out, ironically, you know, he um, just when he needed to be very smart um, and just see out the remaining few seconds of the fight, um, just left himself wide open. Um, when absolutely didn't need to do that. And, um, you know, Lewis picked up a um, quite amazing victory. And um, equally as amazing was his uh, post-fight interview with um, Joe Rogan. That was quite the entertaining one, wasn't it, Dave? Derek Lewis' interview was bizarre and the extreme, um, but he had some some interesting points he just didn't make them very well you know the thing with volkov is he was one he, if he beats lewis today he's probably one win from a title fight he probably puts himself in a title eliminator in his next fight if he beats Derek lewis and now he's got to start all over again so you know you do feel bad from for me you've got to question the coach somebody has to be screaming at him letting him know how long is left you know it, the basics, basic fundamentals. Um, and now Derek Lewis obviously will move on, and he's, he's got such explosive power. But uh, Mo, I, I wasn't impressed at all with him in this fight. I know he has a degenerative back condition. And the fact that he got a performance of the night award for this is, is garbage, absolute garbage. But, you know... So something Derek Lewis needs to go and get his back problem addressed. He needs to go and have surgery. He's clearly not moving well. He doesn't look like he's in the best shape he could be in, given, you know, he, he can barely train. Dominic Cruz said it on commentary. Derek Lewis can barely train. When he does, he's in a, an incredible amount of pain afterwards. Lewis needs to get the back addressed because the talent is there without question. And for Volkov, it's back to the drawing board. Maybe get yourself a new coach. 
Yeah, no, spot on. Um, you know, <laughs> Lewis um, clearly was labouring throughout the three rounds and, um, you know, was clearly hoping to uh, just land something heavy in the final round. Um, he wanted to hold on until then because he was worried that if he tried to go all out in the first round and didn't manage to land a knockout, he'd be easy pickings for Volkov. So that was clearly his strategy was to um, take it into the final round and then go for it. Um, but even by his standards, I mean, he really left it late and then, um, you know, took um, his shorts off. And um, so he's there in pretty much underwear. And um, Joe Rogan said to him, so what, what was the reason for you taking them off? And he said, oh, my balls are feeling hot. So, <laughs> um, yeah, he, he really, um, you know, entertained us um, after the fight in a way that he perhaps couldn't until the final few seconds of the contest. But uh, you're quite right. I mean, if he's got any hope of um, over, overcoming um, Daniel Cormier for the heavyweight title, he really, really has to do a number of things. Um, firstly, his cardio. I mean, his, his cardio is clearly um, not there. Um, also, get this uh, back issue seen too as well. So, uh, and I suspect that it might still be some time before he does face the heavyweight champion. Um, but nonetheless, an entertaining end to the fight and a very entertaining post-fight promo as well um so moving on then from um that contest we then had um a light heavyweight contest between um ovin simpru and the up-and-coming dominic reyes and um this was another quite entertaining fight um reyes who's been um one of the hotly touted up-and-comers within the light heavyweight division um was up against by far his most um credentialed opponent in OSP. OSP has picked up a number of um, notable victories during his time in the UFC, um, but it was Reyes that really um, put on a show, um, picking up a dis- deserved decision victory over his more experienced foe. And um, Reyes certainly doesn't look like somebody who's ready for a title challenge just yet, but he showed all the promise to certainly be knocking on the door maybe a year, 18 months from now. Yeah, I thought Reyes was one of the most impressive people on the entire card. I thought he was just outstanding. His striking is on a different level. Um, his kicks, just he just chopped Ovin Simpru down, didn't he? I mean, the accuracy, yeah. the speed of his kick was, was tremendous. And Simpru was trying to defend him, but he just couldn't. He couldn't move his leg out of the way quick enough. He couldn't turn the knee to try and carrot top it at all. Um, and he just got he got picked apart, and not only that, but Reyes's hands were exceptionally through some beautiful elbows too. He's a very very impressive fighter, um, and the thing is, he he doesn't look like he's the biggest of um, of light heavyweights because he doesn't f- seem to fight at his full kind of range. He looked smaller than Saint Pru last night, despite being half an inch taller. Yeah. And it's it's because he has that wide stance. You know, he comes from a kickboxing background and um, he fights so well. He uses the space really well, closes, gets out of distance and just really, really impressive last night. I was surprised to learn he's, he's actually 29 later this year. I, I thought he was younger than that, but he's definitely got a big future. I think we'll see him take a step up in competition for his next fight and that will tell us more about him. Um, but definitely he's passed every test they've put in front of him and they've 
been ramping up the quality. Maybe someone like J- Jimmy Manawa next um, w- would work for him. Uh, that could be a very exciting fight between two great strikers. And, you know, it's good to see that the UFC is, is finding new talent. Yeah, that's right. Um, especially in the um, heavyweight divisions where, you know, there are a lot of fighters there who have been around for quite some time and are into their mid to late 30s and in some cases even into their 40s. So, uh, you know, it is important for the UFC to have these younger fighters coming through and Reyes certainly looks like a genuine prospect and uh, certainly um, not looking like the kind of fighters at the level of uh, Volkan Uzdemir, for example, but, um, you know, nonetheless, um, to do that to Ovince and Prue, um, you know, you, you can't be any kind of a slouch. So that, that was certainly an impressive showing um, from the young man. Um, then on to the um, semi-main event, which was effectively like a number one contenders fight for the um, winner of the main event. And this was a fight between Tony Ferguson, who's been an interim champion in the past, and um, Anthony Pettis. And I really like this, Dave. This was a really, really competitive all-action fight with one of the greatest rounds in the UFC of many years um, in round two. Um, But ultimately, it was Tony Ferguson that emerged victorious. And um, he stopped um, Anthony Pettis um, at the end of the second round because Pettis had broken his hand and he could no longer continue. So that that was um, Tony Ferguson um, after uh, um, quite a serious knee injury early this year, only six months ago, had it operated on and um, coming through with a fine victory here. Tony Ferguson is a freak of nature. I mean, it's it's exactly 12 months to, to the weekend from his last fight when he beat Kevin Lee for the interim title. That's a title he never lost as well. Let's remember that he's the actual UFC light heavyweight, uh, lightweight champion. The, the other belt is now a sham because it was just gifted to Khabib for beating Ala Iaquenta, who never had any business being in the title fight to begin with. Tony Ferguson was the interim champion. Connor was stripped of the belt. Tony Ferguson should have been the champion. He was stripped because he got injured. That's a, an absolute disgrace. Same things happened to Colby, Colby Covington. Um, the UFC are making a mockery of their own titles with this absolute bullshit that they continue to to go through with. Um, so for me, Tony Ferguson's the big winner on the night. I mean, he looked very, very impressive, even when he got when he got hurt. And look, Anthony Pettis is no joke. Anthony Pettis is a very, very good fighter. He's a former UFC lightweight champion, a WEC lightweight champion. We all remember the the KO of Benson Henderson. He beat ben, Benson Henderson twice when Benson was the number one lightweight in the world. So Anthony Pettis is a fantastic fighter. And this was a great fight. But Tony Ferguson is just a monster. The guy just never, never stops going forward, switching stances, making you miss. You can't get set because you can't time him because he switches stances so often. He's got really unorthodox movement as well. Throws punches from odd angles, but also just throws an incredible volume mixes things up kicks elbows knees punches phenomenal and you see when he gets when he gets knocked down tonight or last night rather mo what's the first thing he does roll through and look for the ankle most guys hit the ground and they start to defend tony goes to the ground and he's like brilliant now i'm in my element because as good a striker as tony ferguson is he's much much better on the ground this guy is one of the best in the ufc on the ground he submits people for fun and as soon as he got hurt 
went to the ground. He immediately looks for the ankle. Phenomenal performance from Tony Ferguson to to be back six months after the the injury he had. And Dominic Cruz, who's somewhat of an expert on knee injuries, said it takes at least nine months for your knee to feel like it did before. Well, Tony's back in six months. Not just back in six months, but he's had a full training camp for this. So he came back after four months and went went 100 miles an hour in training camp. Did no rehab. Took Did it all himself. An absolute barbarian. Without question, has to get the next shot at the title he never lost. And... Um, for Anthony Pettis, I thought he I thought he gave a really good account of himself. I thought he performed well. You could see in the late kind of minute or minute and a half maybe of the of the second round, you could see that he wasn't able to throw his right hand, but he was still trying to win the fight. You saw him attempt a bizarre cartwheel kick, throwing anything he could at Ferguson just to just to try and win the fight. And you know, huge respect to both those guys. And the great thing I loved was the respect between them afterwards. They sought each other out multiple times because they were both kind of dealing with different things. And then they finally got together and, and Tony lifted Pettis's arm and made the crowd acknowledge what a, what a warrior Anthony Pettis has been. So I, I look forward to seeing Anthony Pettis back. Um, I don't know who he'll fight next. Obviously, he's he's looking at, you know, maybe a couple of months out with a broken hand. But he, he's definitely, you know, someone to be, con, you know, contended with in this division. He could become sort of a gatekeeper in this, divi- this division. I think there's a couple of guys that he's lost to in the past that he should face again. Um, Eddie yeah. Alvarez for one, Dustin Poirier for another. I'd like to see him fight Kevin Lee. I think it'd be a really good test for Kevin Lee. Um, and, uh, you know, for Tony Ferguson, it's it's onwards and upwards. The guy's a machine, 11 wins in a row. It's incredible. It is, it is. And, um, you know, you mentioned that, uh, you know, he... Should well be fighting for the uh, lightweight championship um, in his next fight, and uh, you know we'll, we'll come on to talk about that in just a moment. But yeah, you're quite right. He he looked um, so impressive given he had um, the surgery only six months ago, and um, you know Pettis um, to his credit really put in a good performance. And um, it's just a shame that the hand was broken because I I I really felt that. Um, even going to the third round, um, he was really well placed. He was causing Ferguson some problems um, throughout the two rounds, especially in the second. Um, and despite suffering some heavy blood loss, um, you know, looked like he wasn't outmatched um, throughout. So uh, one of his better performances of recent times, and I'm sure that the UFC will reward him with, um, you know, a very uh, fitting contest uh, when he's next ready to fight. So we come to the main event then, um, the small matter of the uh, lightweight championship at stake between um, the official champion, Khabib Nurmagomedov, and the former champion who some regard as the real champion, the one and only Conor McGregor. So, Dave, um, so many things to talk about when we come to this one. Um, well, let, let's talk about the fight itself, firstly. So, went four rounds out of the five. Um, Habib, in the first round, didn't actually do a great deal. Managed to get Con onto the ground, um, but was inflicting no damage whatsoever. Um, so, in certain respects, a difficult round to call. Um, but in other respects, um, because of the fact that Habib um, 
was in control for pretty much the entire round, um, he would pick up on most scorecards a 10-9. Um, the second round, um, it was different in that for me, um, certainly um, brought it on far more strongly and was causing Connor a lot of problems. Uh, a very dominant round for Newman Kamedov. Again, took him to the ground and was landing some heavy, heavy punches. And um, lesser fighters would have either tapped out from that uh, punishment or been knocked out because, um, you know, they were some heavy hands that were being inflicted on um, the notorious one. Um, but he withstood the punishment, made it to the end of the second round. And actually, um, going into round three, I thought that Connor um, won that round. I thought that he was um, the stronger fighter. Majority of the fight um, in round three remained on his feet. And uh, Connor certainly got the better of those exchanges. Yeah, um, for but sure. it was in round four that, um, you know, it all came to an end for Connor. Uh, Khabib once again managed to bring the fight to the ground and then um, locked in um, like a, a combination between a, a neck crank and a chin lock, except his, his hand wasn't, his arm wasn't under the chin, um, but it was so strong and powerful um, that Connor tapped out. Habib um, retained his title and that should have been the end of it, um, but it wasn't. But before we got into what happened after the fight, what did you make of the fight itself, Dave? Yeah, I mean, the first round was basic Khabib turtle fucking Conor McGregor. And I think Herb Dean had a particularly poor performance in this fight. Um, that fight, that first round should have been stood up uh, three or four times. You can't just let a guy lie on top of somebody else for four and a half minutes and not do anything. Um, that that should have been stood up without question. The second round, Khabib wins the first round purely from the fact that he lay on top of McGregor and did nothing for four rounds. He wins it because he got one takedown. Um, the second round starts off a little bit better. Khabib obviously catches Connor, knocks him down. Connor gets straight back up, lands a big knee. And then Khabib takes him down, and you kind of think, oh, he's just going to lie on top of him. But he didn't. He he went to work, and he landed some incredible ground and pound. Great control. And, you know, the first round, Joe Rogan was fondling himself over the control. But, you know, the second round was real control because Khabib was moving and controlling. He wasn't just lying in one place. He was moving and controlling Conor McGregor and um, landing great shots. And, again, Herb Dean, what are you doing? Conor McGregor lands a ridiculously illegal knee right to Khabib's face and Herb Dean is looking at it and does nothing. Yeah. Um, just that's, that's dreadful refereeing. Absolutely dreadful refereeing. Um, it's a, it's an easy Khabib round. It could even be considered a 10, eight round. Such was the dominance. Um, so at that point, obviously you've got Khabib two rounds up. Perhaps you've even got him up by three points and it, you know, Connor needs, needs a miracle at that point. He needs to either win every round or he needs to knock him out. Um, he comes out in the third round and Connor just looked like the better fighter again. Khabib couldn't get his takedowns. Connor stuffed the takedowns, landed the better shots. Didn't have any real snap in his punches though and that was sort of the issue. Um, I think if that if he'd landed those same punches in the first round, I think Khabib hits the mat and then we see where, where that goes. But uh, Connor for sure won the third round. Um, but again, there was a Herb, Herb Dean like Connor had a couple of moments where he broke the rules. He he had his thumb wedged inside Khabib's glove at one point, um, trying to stop a takedown, 
He also caught him with an illegal elbow to the back of the head, which Khabib complained about between the rounds. Yeah, and I just thought Herb Dean had, and I think I personally think Herb Dean's a, a poor referee. I think he's massively overrated based on the fact he's been in the UFC forever. Similar to John McCarthy. I think he's overrated because he's been there for so long. He's one of the original referees. But for me, these guys aren't as good as, say, Herzog, who refereed two fights last night, or um, Mark Goddard. I think they're far better referees because I think they've learned the modern rules. Whereas Herb Dean and John McCarthy, remember, they're refereeing since it was the old UFC, the old rules. And I don't think they fully... I think, you know, they, they sometimes maybe forget or whatever that the rules have changed over the years. And I thought Dean was just terrible in that main event um, for both fighters. But the fourth round, I mean, Khabib comes out, does what he does, gets the takedown. And then from there, it's just, you know, how long can Connor survive? Because Khabib starts getting his back, starts getting mount, gets his back again. And Connor does well. He scrambles, he tries, but. At the end of the day, Khabib is levels and levels above Connor as a grappler. Just as Connor is levels and levels above Khabib as a striker, but in a striking match, everybody's got a puncher's chance because you can just wing a punch and catch someone as Khabib did to Connor in the second round. On the ground, it's different. You're very, very rarely going to get, you know, a massive upset in a grappling comp- contest. Like a white belt isn't going to beat a black belt. Um, unless the black belt does something absolutely ridiculous, and Khabib didn't doesn't make many mistakes, so he dominated him. He worked for a submission. He got a submission, and that should have been it. That should have been it. He should have walked off, put his arms in the air, but he starts mouthing. Then he walks over. He starts shouting at Dylan Danos. He throws his mouthpiece. Dylan Danos obviously says something back to him, and then from there, Mo, it is an absolutely disgraceful display from Khabib and from everybody connected to Khabib and there's going to have to be some punishment um, towards all of them oh yeah absolutely um, so so just to break down what happened then after the fight um, and, and agree um, in terms of uh, Herb Dean I thought that um, you know he didn't um, have the greatest performance when he came to that fight but I don't think it had any outcome on the fight itself, except, you know, had there been some stand-ups in the first round, that first round might have panned out differently and, you know, the fight eventually might have panned out differently, but um, that that's to an extent ifs, buts and maybes. But, uh, yeah, cer- certainly after the fight, um, so for those that have been under a rock and aren't aware, um, so Khabib wins, he stands up, starts to aggressively shout at Connor, who's down on the ground um, then he turns his direction to Connor's corner um, starts shouting at them throws as you say his mouthpiece um, jumps onto the um, top of the cage and then like we often see fighters do and you expect him to just um, carry on mouthing off but no he jumps all the way over and then straight out of pro wrestling um, almost like a drop kick a missile tri- drop kick held in the direction um, of um, one of the guys in Connor's Corner, um, who also happens to be a co-promoter of Bellator, um, interestingly enough. And uh, then, as you say, all hell broke loose. Um, you know, all, all of the guys in the uh, Connor's Corner started getting involved into the, the fray, and um, Khabib's guys then ran around and they started getting involved. 
Um, and initially from uh, the live coverage, it looked like Connor was just in the cage. And then he was jumped by a couple of fighters as well. Um, sorry, a couple of the uh, Habib entourage. Um, but then other um, footage later released on social media showed that what actually happened is that Connor looked to jump over the cage as well. Um, but he was re uh, restrained by um, security, um, Nevada State Athletic Commission officials. And then at the same time he was trying to leap over, one of uh, Khabib's guys were trying to leap over as well. And whilst both of those guys were up there, Connor and one of the uh, Khabib guys, um, Connor threw a punch at um, um, one of Khabib's guys. And uh, then he came down off of the cage, and that's what resulted in a couple more of Khabib's guys jumping into the cage and then them going after Connor. Um, so it was just absolutely chaotic, the likes of which I've never, ever seen in UFC or mixed martial arts. Um, and uh, it, it was absolute chaos. And, um, you know, for those that are not used to things like that, probably quite a scary sight as well. And, uh, you know, eventually all the dozens of uh, people around managed to somehow bring the situation under control um but um you know the whole thing just descended into chaos and um arguably into farce as well and there's no doubt about it whatsoever and um, the whole thing was clearly the fault of um Khabib whatever was said um in the lead up to the fight um you know and some of it in my view was um uncalled for some of it was unnecessary um including connor calling um habib's um arab manager a terrorist um and one or two other quite unsavory incidents but you you know that this is sometimes what you get with connor um but nonetheless the victory in itself should have been enough that should have been mm. all that habib needed and all that his corner needed and that should have been the bragging rights for them and they would have looked far more respectful had they just left it at that but by jumping over the cage attacking um connor's entourage attacking connor himself that just made the whole sport look so so bad made them look bad and um ultimately they look really bad out of the whole situation and you are right there will be repercussions and you have to imagine that um habib will be ending up with a very long um, suspension from the Athletic Commission. And Dana White himself said after the um, fight, when they managed to do the uh, post-show press conference, that uh, if it is a lengthy suspension, then Khabib will be stripped of the title. I, I don't think he should be stripped, personally. I think they've gotten too much into this nonsense. I mean, it's not like he cheated. Like, he's not a John Jones. He's not a cheat. He just reacted very badly now look there's an awful lot to unpack here um khabib should get a massive fine i i don't know that he should be suspended maybe a three-month suspension or something like that just you know a slap on the wrist i think the fine is where he should be hit um the, they've the not guys released his, uh, sorry, Dave, they've not released his purses yet um, yeah they haven't released connor's either no, they had released Connors. Um, so they, after they reviewed the footage, they released Connors' purse. Oh, okay. They decided not to release uh, Khabib's. Um, but you, you'd imagine that they will look to take a, a cut of that um, because of what happened. They'll oh. clearly see him as the integrator for the whole situation. Oh, because he is. And, he, you know, look, maybe he, maybe he won't get any money from this fight. I mean, that's the thing. 
the fine might be as big as his purse because he's certainly not earning the type of money Conor McGregor is earning. Now, let's backtrack, Mo. Let's backtrack to where this all started. So the Khabib-Conor rivalry began with Khabib in the ring, running his mouth and talking shit about McGregor. Yet that's all forgotten so Khabib can cry about the things McGregor said that were disrespectful. Um, Khabib cries about McGregor disrespecting his country. Let's not forget what Khabib said about Ireland and about the Irish people. So Khabib likes to play that he's this righteous, respectful guy. And it's all bullshit. It's an act. He's not. He's not. He just isn't. Um, I've seen people today say that it's racist for Conor McGregor to offer him a drink. It's not racist. Um, I understand that the majority of Muslims don't drink. I understand that. But I know Muslims who do drink. Now, people can say, oh, they're not good Muslims or whatever, and that's fine. Um, If Khabib wants to cry about that, why is he fighting for a living? Isn't that also against his religious beliefs? Isn't Islam the religion of peace? So he can't be a hypocrite in one way and then cry about something else. Now, Connor was wrong to offer him a drink because Connor knows Khabib doesn't drink. That just makes Connor an ignorant dickhead. It doesn't make him a racist. Connor overstepped the line with things he said about Khabib. There's no question about that. I'm not defending what Connor said. But let's not forget how it all started. It started with Khabib standing in the ring, running his mouth. Khabib came out in the press conference afterwards and took no responsibility for his own actions. None. Instead, he cried about what McGregor had done to him. He said McGregor had almost killed people in Brooklyn. I mean, that's bullshit. That's not even slightly what happened. Yes, Conor McGregor threw a dolly through a window. But why did he throw the dolly? Because Khabib wouldn't come out of the bus. Why did Conor go to the bus and ask him to come out? Um, Khabib and his little entourage surrounded Artem and threatened him and physically assaulted him. That's why McGregor went to the bus in Brooklyn. That's where that started. So, yes, Conor McGregor has repeatedly overstepped the line. He's also been repeatedly punished. He went to court. He went to jail and then went to court and now has a criminal record because of what happened in Brooklyn. But that started because of Khabib. Yeah, and he he paid millions to the people that were injured on that bus. Millions. More money than Khabib has ever seen in his life. Let's also forget the fact, remember the fact rather, that Khabib conveniently forgets that the reason this is the biggest fight in the history of the UFC has absolutely nothing to do with Khabib. Nothing to do with him. It could have been Conor McGregor throwing around a wheelie bin and it would have done a million pay-per-views. Because Conor McGregor is the draw. And Conor McGregor is the reason that Khabib is now, in all likelihood, a multi-millionaire pending a big fine. And he knows it. And he knows it. And Conor is the reason that the sport is as popular as it is right now. No one else. Conor McGregor, the biggest name in the history of the sport, the biggest star in the history of sport. And look, Conor is obviously devastated today. Of course he's going to be devastated. He got he got beaten up. There's no other way to say it. He got beaten up. It's not like the Diaz fight where he was winning comfortably and then he gassed and then Nate took over and then Nate stopped. It's not like that. Khabib beat him up tonight. But at the end of the day, it's over now for Conor. And Connor's probably got 25, 35 million for last night. So he's just going to sit at home and count his money. Khabib, on the other hand, is going to face commission hearings. 
He's going to face suspension. He might have trouble getting a visa because of what happened. His guys are certainly never going to step foot in a UFC ring again. There's not one of them is ever going to get anywhere near a UFC arena again. Dana confirmed that. Dana confirmed that. And he didn't make a fraction of what Conor made. He might have got a million and a half, two million for that fight. Not, not, you know, the purse is the purse. But people who think that the purse is what they get paid, that's not what they get paid. What they get paid is what Uncle Dana hands them in a check backstage or, you know, in a month or two when the pay-per-view numbers come in. For Conor, he gets it that night. For for Khabib, he might get it when the pay-per-view numbers come in. But... Conor McGregor is the reason for the show, and yes, he oversteps the line, and yes, he does push the boundaries of things. But, you know, you've got people crying about his behavior, and oh, he threw bottles at the Diaz brothers. The Diaz brothers threw the bottles first. Yes, McGregor reacts every time. Yes, he oversteps the bounds. But there's very little he's done that hasn't been in reaction to somebody else. You've had people come out and say he displayed racism against Mayweather by calling two members of Mayweather's team monkeys. They were white. He called two white guys monkeys because McGregor Mayweather was ordering them round. He also called them juicehead turkeys. It's not racism. Yes, it's ignorance. Yes, Conor McGregor is ignorant. Yes, he's a dickhead. Yes, it's very easy to hate him, but you still watch every single time. And that's the thing. Connor doesn't need to win these fights. You mentioned WWE earlier on, Mo. And I remember a famous quote from Steve Austin where he said, he doesn't need, I don't need to have the belt to draw the biggest money. Shawn Michaels said, I don't need to win at WrestleMania to be remembered as Mr. WrestleMania. Connor McGregor doesn't need to win a fight ever again. And a million people will still turn in to watch every fight he has. He's not Gray Maynard. He's not going to disappear onto the prelims, the early prelims, shown on Facebook or wherever the fuck they're shown. It's not going to happen. So if if Conor's next fight is Tony, which is possible if Khabib gets a long suspension, it's going to do over a million pay-per-views. Conor's going to make 25, 30 million again. If he loses that fight, guess what? His next fight, still do over a million pay-per-views. He's still going to make 20, 30 million again. This game is not just about wins and losses. It's not no, just about the belt. You know, Connor's yeah. not in this for that. Connor's in this for different reasons. He's growing his brand. He's one of the biggest sports stars in the world. And, you know, I, I I don't I don't agree with most of what he does. I don't I think he does cross the line with what he says. And I thought when he mentioned Chechnya in, in relation to, to Dagestan, I thought you're really, really stepping the line here. But he does it for a reason. He does it to incite. He does it to bring eyeballs to the sport. And people can cry and say, oh, he's bad for the sport. No, he's not. He is the best thing happening to that sport. Best thing that's ever happened to it but since since tough, since the finale between Forrest Griffin and Stephen Bonner. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Conor McGregor is the best thing to happen to this sport. So he takes his lumps. He's called for rematch already. Uh, I think he, you know, the other thing I want to mention here as well Look at Connor when he's always been at his best, Mo. He's been an active fighter, fighting two, three, sometimes four times a year. He came in tonight having not fought in two years. I, I, don't talk to me about that boxing. That's not, that doesn't have anything, any bearing on this. He hasn't fought in MMA in two years. So for me, there's a lot of rust there, and he looked rusty to me. So I think he's got to, you know, take on whoever, have a nice, couple of fights to get himself back into into top shape get his confidence back get some momentum back and then you throw him in against maybe kevin lee at that point or maybe tony or khabib but um i didn't think it was a good idea to come back after two years against khabib i think that's been proven i but i, I do think he could beat khabib if he was in you know his best shape and his best flow yeah Oh, goodness, there's um, so many points you covered. Very well put, Dave. Um, so firstly, in terms of Connor and his importance to UFC and MMA in general, um, this fight is expected to do between two and a half and three million buys. Now, to put that into context, um, UFC's record for pay-per-views is about 1.6, 1.7 million, which was set by Conor McGregor. Uh, McGregor. Um, and th- this fight is um, going to be making Connor tens of millions of dollars. Um, had Khabib been fighting against, say, Tony Ferguson, instead of 2.5 to 3 million, we'd be talking about 250 to 300,000 buys. So it's a tenfold increase in the number of buys purely because this fight involved Connor McGregor. That is the power that he has as a draw. He is the biggest box office draw in all of combat sports. There is not a single boxer um, or anyone in mixed martial arts that can post the kind of pay-per-view numbers that Connor can. And it's not even close now. I mean, even if Mayweather came back out of retirement um, to fight um, uh, Alvarez or somebody like that, um, he, his, his power of drawing on pay-per-view is diminished and uh you know that certainly won't happen um so that that's how important the fighter is now in terms of um his, his conduct um you know 
I think that there have been times over the last couple of years where, you know, he certainly has come across like a very egotistical dick. And I think the worst example for me was actually on a small mixed martial arts show here in, it was either here in the UK or in Ireland in the last, uh, I think it was in 2017 where he jumped into the cage after a fight and started pushing around, physically pushing around Mark Goddard and, uh, Mark hadn't done anything really wrong. You know, he, he'd officiated it well. And, you know, you know earlier on that he's one of the best officials mm. around and he's highly respected. And, uh, and I thought that was really, really poor from Connor to do stuff like that. And, um, you know, all, all the stuff in, in the interviews and everything is part of the game with Connor. I mean, a lot of fighters go along with it because they know, OK, he is making it personal with me. But at the same time, he's going to make me rich. And I think deep down, Khabib um, gets all of that as well. But clearly there were certain things that were said that he perhaps felt crossed the line. And um, the whole adrenaline, the emotion of the occasion, um, and then perhaps comments that might have been made by um, that individual with that really silly haircut in Connor's corner. <laughs> that is one shocker of a hairdo. That is, he should have been banned from the building just for that hairdo. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Maybe he said something after the fight which triggered him and it caused him to jump over the cage. Who knows? But uh, look, um, I, I think that the outcome of all of this is that um, Khabib will get at least a year suspension. I don't think it will be three months. I don't think it will be six or nine. Because the thing is, look, um, if he weren't to be suspended, it would probably be a good four six months before we fight again anyway so yeah they do want to punish him and i think a year i mean they could even look at 18 months or two years but i think that ufc um you know unofficially will lobby to not have a sentence of that long because look it's a bad situation it is not good for the reputation of the sport it's not good for the brand but it's also quite good in terms of keeping this rivalry fresh. And look, Conor McGregor just a few hours ago tweeted, um, amazingly, good knock, looking forward to the rematch. So, you know, yeah. he, he already sees the dollar signs. He knows that, you know, it was a, a nasty situation. Nobody nobody comes out well out of this. Um, but he is a money guy. He likes to make money. He's made a shitload of money um, over the last few years. And he knows that if these two guys get it together in the octagon again, whether it's a year, two years from now, that fight, if any fight is possible to break the record that he set last year, then it's that fight um, yeah. between Connor and Habib. But I think in the interim, though, I would strongly suspect that Connor faces um, Tony Ferguson for the vacant lightweight championship. And the winner will then face Khabib once he comes back off of his suspension. Yeah, I do think that's likely. And look, they also need to point out that two of Khabib's team were arrested. Maybe it was three, but they were arrested last night and brought, brought to the police station. And Conor McGregor refused to press charges and made sure they were, were released. So he's obviously not taken anything that happened after the fight personally. But for anyone that doubts for one second that Conor McGregor is by far the biggest draw in the sport... Have a look at the biggest gates in the history of the sport. Number one, Conor McGregor versus Eddie Alvarez, Madison Square Garden, 17.7 million on the gate. Last night, Conor against Khabib, 17.2 million. 
The next highest is Jake Shields against George St. Pierre. Um, that was held in Canada, where George St. Pierre is a god. That's why that did so much, because George St. Pierre has never done Connor type numbers. Um, and then below that, you've got, that was 12 point, just 12 million. 12 million. So 5 million less than Connor's Gates. Um, below that, you've got Misha Tate versus um, Amanda Nunez at UFC 200. Now, Mo, remind me, who was meant to be the headline fight at that? Oh. Conor McGregor was meant to be the headline yeah. fight of that. You think anyone bought tickets beforehand that maybe were expecting to see Conor? I think they might have. And then number five is Jose Aldo against Conor McGregor. You look yeah. at pay-per-view numbers. Number one, Diaz McGregor. Number two, Diaz McGregor. Number three was UFC 100, which was the biggest card in history at that point. Number four, Eddie Alvarez McGregor. Number five, Aldo McGregor. So he's got four of the top five. And the number six one is UFC 200, which Connor was meant to headline. You look at non-championship, you've got obviously the McGregor-Diaz fights. You've also got McGregor against Chad Mendes. Now, McGregor against Aldo did 1.2 million. McGregor against Mendes did just over 800,000. Let's rewind. They both happened in 2015. Now, rewind to 2014 when Chad Mendes faced Jose Aldo. And the pay-per-view was 180,000. So those guys fighting each other, nobody cared. Either of them fighting Conor McGregor, everybody cared. This is the draw of the man. This is how big of a star he is in this sport. And for anyone that doubts that Amanda Nunes is not a draw, um, her two of her most recent fights against uh, Pennington, Pennington, 85,000, and Shevchenko, 100,000. As great a fighter as Nunes is, she's not a draw. McGregor was the draw for that card as well because he was meant to be the headline fight yeah. and it didn't happen. Conor McGregor by a mile. The only one who comes anywhere close is Brock Lesnar. And he's a big part of why UFC 200 did great numbers as well because he obviously got added to the card late on and it drove the numbers. But McGregor is by far the biggest draw in UFC history. And will continue to be. And you're right, he probably will fight Tony Ferguson next. I don't think he should. I think he should have a fight in the interim. I think he needs a fight in the interim. Um, Tony's a Tony's a completely different animal to Khabib as well. But I'll tell you, Tony Ferguson is the biggest winner coming out of last night. Connor lost a fight, so he can't be happy. Khabib is, is going to go through the absolute ringer now, so he can't be happy. But Tony Ferguson comes out of this looking like a million dollars, smelling like roses. And Dana White has to be thinking to himself, why, oh, why did I strip that guy? He would look much better right now as my UFC lightweight champion than this guy I've got to strip or that guy over there who only fights when he really wants to. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's um, fascinating how the whole situation will pan out. And, uh, you know, Tony Ferguson... um, you know, unlike both individuals, both Conor and uh, Khabib in the main event, um, Tony came across so well, um, like a real um, top-level fighter, firstly for coming back only months after knee operation, um, but also the way that he fought and the way he conducted himself after the fight as well, in stark contrast to both individuals um, in the main event. And, uh, you know, that that's... Um, just the consequence, though, of uh, the, the whole whole situation. Now, um, 
where things go from here, who knows? But uh, I would suspect that um, Dana White and all the powers that be at UFC will look to do something big now for um, the Super Bowl UFC show, which is annual tradition. And that will come up, I believe, um, the first weekend in February. And, um, you know, that that's still a good four months away. And, uh, you know, whether Connor versus Tony is the fight that can be put together that soon. Um, who knows? But, um, you know, they'll certainly look to have some big fight for that show. I mean, 2017, they had no Conor McGregor on any of their shows and they had their worst pay-per-view um, year for many a year, mm-hmm. um, specifically because Conor wasn't around. So now that they've signed him to a new multi-fight deal, um, they'll be looking to get their money's worth. And you know, I could well see Conor fighting two, so at least two times, possibly even three in 2019. And um, they'll perhaps look to get a fight in with him earlier in the year and they, they like to get big, big fights on the February um, events that coincide with the Super Bowl. Yeah. So you'd have to imagine Daniel Cormier will be on that card as well because he has said he's retiring at his next birthday and that is fast approaching. So, I mean, there's not a whole lot of draws left in the UFC mode. I mean, let's be honest. You look at on the men's side, you know, Mighty Mouse was never a draw. Now he's lost his title. I, I don't see a draw in, in that division. Um, TJ Dillashaw is not a draw at all. Nobody wants to watch TJ fight. I mean, you look at the the list of the worst ever pay per views, and and TJ is on that list um, a couple of times. Um, you know, you go to to um, featherweight. I think Max Holloway is a fantastic fight. I think he's exciting. I think he can be built into a draw. But I mean, Max has had a lot of injuries. There's and you know, there's been kind of a dip in, in the, the hype of Max Holloway because of the injuries. Now, he has an enormous fight line, like, wait, waiting for him when he's 100% again. Um, so we know that's going to be a great fight. So, you know, there's that. Then at lightweight, you do have Connor. And there's, there's three fights there. There's the Khabib rematch. There's Tony. And I think Connor against Kevin Lee could be a, could be a really big fight because Kevin Lee talks a talk as well. He loves oh, the shit talk. So there's that fight. There's also the, the possibility that um, that Dos Anjos might drop back down just to fight Connor. So that's there. At welterweight, I mean, Woodley's the champion and he smashes everybody. But is he a big draw? No, he's never done big pay-per-view numbers. That's one of the reasons Dana's kind of hesitant to give him the, the George St. Pierre fight. Um, there's no big draw at middleweight. At light heavyweight, you've got Daniel Cormier, he's a big draw, but he's not a huge draw. The same at heavyweight. Um, Stipe is a, a decent draw. And the one people are waiting on to come back is John Jones. But again, he's not a big draw. Like The only big, big draw in the company outside of Connor. well, there's, there's a couple. There's George St. Pierre, who's only a part-time fighter, and we don't know when we'll see him next. There's Nate Diaz, but he's only ever been a big draw against Connor. Yeah. And then there's Nick Diaz. And Nick is probably the biggest draw outside of Connor. And a lot of that is down to the fact that we haven't seen him in a long time and it's more intrigue than anything else. I mean, Nick is a great fighter, but he's never been a world champion in the UFC. Um, he's lost to most of the elite fighters he's faced. And a lot of his popularity, popularity is down to his personality and, you know, his outside the ring, you know, carry on. 
Um, and I love Nick, but he's not an elite fighter. So, I mean, who who else do they have? They with Ronda gone and Lesnar part time, GSP part time. It, it's well, it, their only the, hope, I think, is their only sorry, Dave. Their only hope, I think, is to perhaps try and build up Colby Covington, who's um, you know a big time trash talker like yeah. Connor. And hope that, you know, he catches fire with the audience. But, you know, he's uh, he doesn't exactly hide the fact that he's very pro-Trump. Um, and, uh, you know, that that will certainly be a polarizing thing for a lot of UFC fans. Um, but, you know, he, he could become one of these fighters that people just want to see beaten and uh, people buy the pay-per-views in the hope that he, he does eventually lose. And, um, you know, if, if he racks up another two or three victories in time, he could be. Uh, become you know a second the second biggest draw in the company and he could even become a potential opponent for connor as well because it's only one weight class up uh, up is um and there's been Colton. talk that they might create a 165 division to kind of you know split it in the middle so maybe yeah. connor connor go to there i don't think i don't think connor fighting colby at 170 is a good idea because i think colby will just take him down and wrestle fuck him to death um but I think at one at one sixty five or even you know if, if they go a bit lower than that, Colby might struggle to make that weight, so it might deteriorate him a little bit, you know, the cut. But I don't know. I think they're they're in a look. They've they begged Connor to come back for this fight. There's no question that they were desperate. I mean, we're going to talk about UFC two thirty in a minute, and you know they're struggling desperately for fights that will sell pay per views, and I think. You you look you hear Dana White talk recently, and he seems like a man who's under more pressure than he's ever been on because the owners of of the UFC now, what did they pay four point two billion for this company, and pay per view numbers have gone down. Ronda's gone, Connor's been gone, Lesnar's been gone, GSP came back and he's gone again. And who's the draw? Where's the money coming from? It's not like you know back when we had Chuck and Tito and. Randy Couture would do a solid 500,000 for them. And now there's, there's very few that can even hit the 500,000 mark. And even the new the TV deal. Yeah, and, and even the new TV deal um, that I think kicks in next year in 2019 um, was disappointing for the company. They were hoping for a much bigger deal, paying three, 400 million a year. And they didn't manage that. And they were even more annoyed by the fact that Vince McMahon in the WWE managed to exceed that figure with their um franchise raw and smackdown tv shows so um yeah even that hope on on that front uh was disappointing to um the um hedge fund owners and um yeah they they desperately need connor around and need him more than ever um to to things uh keep things sticking over uh from a financial and commercial perspective um but yeah this story will definitely run and run listeners um we haven't heard the last of this one and I'm sure over the coming uh, days, weeks, and even months, um, there'll be plenty of fallout from uh, what was one of the biggest, if not the biggest, and most talked about UFC show in history. Um, so t- talking of UFC shows, um, another big one is coming up in less than four weeks, as we recall this. This is UFC 230, as you mentioned, Dave, from Madison Square Garden in New York. And um, 3rd of November, um, UFC have a huge venue lined up, legendary venue in MSG, uh, but they have far from a legendary lineup. Um, in fact, not a 
single fight that you could label as a bona fide main event for UFC 230. No, that's it. I mean, you've got Derek Bronson, who's a, a solid middleweight, um, fighting Adesanya. It promises to be a good fight, but it's not a draw. It's not one that people are going to go, oh, I'll pay 60 bucks just to watch that fight. Um, you've got Jack Array against David Branch. Again, it'll be a good fight. The two very good fighters. Jack Array is one of the best grapplers we've ever seen. But again, it's not carrying a pay-per-view. Um, Luke Rockhold against Chris Weidman, you know, you're back 40 years. That's that's a fight everyone wants to see. Now, not so much. I mean, it, it should be a good fight. But again, like this is a, it's a mid-card fight now. Um, then it's one of the purists will like. It's one of the purists will like, but certainly in terms of, of the casual MMA audience, it will not resonate with them whatsoever. No, because Rockhold hasn't been impressive in a while, and Weidman. I mean, we saw him get marked a couple of times, and he he'd looked incredible until he met Luke Rockhold, and then he got absolutely wrecked. Um, Dustin Poirier against uh, against Nate Diaz is just it's a weird fight now I understand why they've made it Dustin's coming off a big big win he's been on a bit of a rip re- recently uh, but he he's not a big name he's a good solid fighter but Conor McGregor wrecked him let's remember that Conor McGregor absolutely wrecked him mm. um, and then Nate Diaz like Nate Diaz is your, your biggest is one of your biggest draws he's one of your five biggest draws why is he why is he fighting Dustin Poirier on a, on a, you know, as a co-main event doesn't make sense. I mean, you know, he, fair enough. He, he, Nate will be a big enough draw that he'll bring eyes to this. But again, we've never seen Nate draw really well without Connor. So that remains to be seen how, how many eyes will it, will it will actually bring. And then I'm, I'm sorry, but Valentina Shevchenko against Syria Eubanks is just, it's not a main event. It's not a main event for a pay-per-view. Fight night, fine. Co-main event in a pay-per-view, absolutely perfect. It's not a main event for a pay-per-view, and it's certainly not a main event for a pay-per-view in Madison Square Garden. I'm sorry. No way. Yep. Valentina Shevchenko is one of the most entertaining and skilled fighters in the world, man or woman. She's fantastic. But that's not a main event for a pay-per-view at MSG. And there's been, look, there's been loads of talk that, you know, there will be another fight announced and John Jones is going to come back because his suspension ends beforehand and whatever. But you've left it too late. I mean, how how have they got themselves into this situation? Like, you knew that you had Connor and Khabib. Why not hold off Tony and, and Pettis? That at least would be worthy of headlining a, a, a pay-per-view because Tony Ferguson is one of the five best fighters in the world, pound for pound. That's a that's a that's a great fight. I mean, that was a great fight last night. It would have been even better in a month when Tony has another month to get himself back to full speed. I don't know, Mo. I'm I'm looking at that card and I'm just. I think up until the lack of main event, like if if you had a real main event, and then that on top, I think that's tremendous. I think you've got a really good card there, but I I just I don't get it. I don't know why they left themselves so short. Um, and why they're not pushing like why is Daniel Cormier not fighting on this card you know TJ Dillashaw maybe on that card yeah yeah. I mean I know Max Holloway against Brian Ortega is is in December but you couldn't have made it a month earlier there wasn't there was no way to make it a month earlier I don't don't know what 
Holloway's um, health was like. I know he was withdrawn from 225 with with concussion-like syndromes or whatever it was, or symptoms. But, you know, there had to be, there has to be a better fight for UFC yeah. 230 than this one. Yeah, and um, I think that UFC will still look to try and desperately put something together. Well, at least they would have done this week, except um, things uh, that have happened in the last uh, 12 to 18 hours of, uh, as we recall this, have uh, almost taken over and uh, dealing with all of that perhaps will uh, take up most of Dana White & Co.'s week. Um, And so therefore we might just be left with uh, Shevchenko um, defending a title as the main event. But uh, you're quite right. Make a very good point. Um, You know, UFC have got a problem in two respects. Firstly, they're looking to put on a great number of shows as year go by. And um, certainly with the new TV deal kicking in, um, they do have to run a lot of events, which then spreads the talent pool um, even more thinner. Um, But then on top of that, um, a lot of their established big name fighters of the last decade or so have um, retired, moved on um, or just um, faded because, um, you know, fights or age have gotten to them. So um, they have got a dearth of genuine needle shifters who can make a difference when it comes to pay-per-view buys. And uh, that that's certainly something that will be a worry for UFC, not only for UFC 230, but also going into 2019 because other than Conor McGregor um, and possibly to a much lesser extent, John Jones and Daniel Cormier, um, there isn't actually a great deal that will result in pay-per-view buys of five, 600,000 above. So uh, that certainly will be a concern for the company going forward. But uh, yeah, certainly at this point in time, UFC 230, some great fighters on the card, some very good fights on paper, um, certainly not leaping out as a star-studded lineup that is befitting an event at the legendary Madison Square Garden. No, no definitely not. And and the thing as well now is you've got like Bellator are making real moves now. They're never going to usurp the UFC, but they can. They're at least positioning themselves as an actual proper competition to the UFC, like. They've, they've done really well over the last year. They've built up a really good stable of fighters. and There's really exciting fights to come in, in Bellator this year. I don't know. I mean, to be honest, Mo, the fight I'm most looking forward to this month coming up after last night is Chael Sonnen against Fedor, which happens next weekend. I think that's going to be fun. Now, I expect Fedor to beat him, but I'll, I'll watch Chael Sonnen fight. And why is Chael Sonnen not in the UFC? Chael Sonnen at least is a big draw. People will pay to watch Chael Son. He's a great interview. He certainly knows how to talk the talk, and uh, he's such a magnetic, magnetic personality as well. Um, you know, the combination of the two means that um, you know he certainly to the mainstream MMA audience is far more interesting and far more likely, therefore, to um, result in people parting with their cash to ba- uh, purchase pay per views, um, which is more than can be said for. A lot of UFC's um, roster, including many of their champions. So, uh, you know, um, UFC certainly needs to look at ways in which they can retain um, the fighters who are not at championship level anymore, but can still um, do a job for them in terms of um, selling pay-per-views and appealing to that kind of mainstream audience that is more interested in personalities and characters 
than they are in pure fighters because UFC is stacked full of technically very, very good fighters. But um, what really gets people interested in them is their personalities and what they have to say. And that is why Conor McGregor is the biggest pay-per-view draw around. It's because he is just a, a unique one-off personality. Yeah. And, uh, and look at this one. One of the top draws, probably one of the top 10 draws in the UFC right now is CM Punk, who can't fight. Yeah. Guy can't <laughs> yeah. fight. And he's one of the top 10, 10 drawers. Um, like I, I'm, uh, like Mo, we've got, we've got Gegard Musasi last week beat up Rory McDonald. Like, those two guys should have been, should both be in the UFC as well. Um, there's other guys that would at least bring some sort of interest. Like, wouldn't you like to see Paul Daly fight again in the UFC? I know he's not had the best of luck of late and he's past his best, but wouldn't at least bring some sort of interest? The guy who was banned for throwing a punch wouldn't at least bring some sort of interest rather than, you know, Drek. I, I don't know. Like, I, I think the UFC, they need to kind of step step back. You mentioned earlier on, they're having too many events, trying to satisfy too many networks. And they've diluted the talent pool to the point where there isn't enough talent to fill it these days. Well, that's right. And no, it's an inconvenient truth for MMA purists, but the reality of UFC is it's not only sport, but it's entertainment as well. And um, you know, this is something that um, the previous matchmaker got. Joe Silver, one of the great people involved in UFC, um, you know, who was the UFC booker for many, many years, retired um, a couple of years ago. And mm. you know, he, he grew up as a, as a big, big pro wrestling fan. And he understood the value of creating, um, you know, if you want to use the term storyline, um, then, then that's the label to attach because he understood that, you know, it's creating these stories, these rivalries, um, the, these personalities and promoting them and pushing them. That is what gets people interested. You know, just watching great fights on its own is not enough to shift the needle and sell hundreds of thousands of pay-per-views. And, um, you know, Joe Silver got that. And since he left, um, there, there has to an extent been an absence of, um, you know, a focused effort on trying to build up characters and personalities. And, you know, even if the certain fighters are not technically the best, um, you know, a fighter that's interesting has personality will appeal to the mainstream audience, uh, more than somebody who is technically perfect, but has the personality of a, um, of a, of a, of a toilet brush. So, well, look at this one more. Like the, the, one of the biggest potential stars they had was Darren Till. Okay, he comes into the UFC, he wins his first three, first four fights, then he gets Cowboy Cerrone. Cowboy's a big name, he's well known, and Darren Till wrecked him. So they gave him Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Thompson's one of the top fighters in the division, and they have a, a pretty good fight, a close fight, you could call it either way. Some people think Thompson won something, Till won, I thought it was a draw, but Till gets the victory. Now, he gets the victory despite missing the weight cut. And then he gets handed a title shot when he's clearly not ready against Tyron Woodley. And Woodley just wrecked him, like just smoked him. And now mm. you've kind of killed the Darren Till hype train. Whereas 
they rushed them into the Thompson fight because they wanted a headline fight for that Liverpool show. They could have given them someone more in from the mid range, someone in the kind of fifteen to to ten ranking. Then they could have given them someone in the ten to five kind of five to ten ranking, and then given them Wonderboy. And then having seen what happened on Wonderboy, you give him one more fight and you see how he does there. And then you give him Tyron Woodley. For me, he got the fight against Woodley three fights too early. And he just wasn't prepared for that level. I mean, Tyron Woodley might be the best fighter in the UFC right now. I mean, there's a real argument that Tyron Woodley is the best fighter in the UFC right now. He's incredibly dominant. He's incredibly well-rounded. Um... And, like, he's on an absolute tear. And the last guy to beat him was Rory McDonald, who's not even in the promotion anymore. So, you know, I just... I don't think they've done a good job. But you're right, Joel Silva leaving, that was a crushing blow. He left it when the, when the buyout happened. And it was a crushing blow to the UFC because it hasn't... The fights haven't been as good. They haven't built things as well. There's been no long-term plan. Like... When Joe Silva used to be in charge, you'd you'd see a couple of guys fighting each other, you know, on the the prelims, and you'd say, "Well, he's fighting him, and now he's fighting him." And then in three months, the winners of those fight fights would face, and often the losers of those fights would face, or the loser of one would fight the winner of the other, and and vice versa. And he'd build these guys up really slowly, and he'd take his time, and he had a plan for almost everybody. Now he's gone and they've got too many fighters and not enough elite level fighters. And I just don't think the same thing has happened. Yeah, you're quite right, Dave. Um, it's um, certainly an area of concern. The fact that, uh, you know, since Joe left, um, they have certainly struggled to build up these characters, create these uh, intriguing rivalries that, um, you know, the more mainstream MMA audience can invest themselves in. Um, and it's certainly something that they need to look at um, because they, don't really want to be putting all of their eggs in one basket in Connor. And, you know, to a greater extent now, more than ever, that is exactly what is happening. Um, but it will certainly be interesting to see um, how things pan out for UFC in their efforts to uh, try to desperately create some newer, younger stars um, over the next uh, few months going into 2019. Right, listeners. So we have covered a huge amount um, on this pod. Um Lots and lots to talk about, um, as I mentioned earlier, about um, all of what happened at UFC 229. And um, I hope you've enjoyed listening to Dave and I dissect and uh, give our views on um, everything that happened on that eventful show. Um, we will hopefully be back next month and not nine months from now um, as we look to uh, cover UFC 230 and look ahead to... Um, events that will be coming up in December and January. Um, but until next time, listeners, thanks for listening and join us again next time on MMA Monthly. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.